It is truly incredible to hear their story as we start this year because, you know, the thing is that we have a crazy calendar, all right? I mean, it's January starts off. We got bingo this Friday night. It's bingo, so come play bingo this Friday night. It's gonna be awesome. We've got a parent conference coming up, which you need to be signed up for. So parents, we do this for you. So sign up for the parent conference. Um, it's happening this month. It's just a couple weeks away. Uh, we got Disciple Now is right around the corner. We got groups fairs and serving out in the foyer. There's so much happening. But what I want you to really hear is this. In all of the chaos, as we start a brand new year, there is something very profound about us just taking a moment and saying, God, you have us on a mission that you started a long time ago. And so we get the privilege to do the work that God has started. We are just literally standing on the shoulders of giants and guys to be a part of the church and what God has planned for us is truly, truly sensational. So I wanna pray over us, pray a blessing over us, and then uh, let's get rolling this morning. God, I thank you and I praise you for the work that you have done in and through this body. God, we thank you for the works that are taking places in other cities, in other countries, Lord, as we sit back and we evaluate what you've done in and through us, it truly is overwhelming. And it's a reminder that we are surrendered to the power of your Holy Spirit. We have stayed focused on your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that this year you would allow every one of us to be bold in our faith, to not compromise in what we believe. Lord, we promise we will continue to teach your son, Jesus. If you'll continue to let your favor rest on us, we will continue to faithfully faithfully preach your son Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so, Lord, over the congregation, I pray your favor and I pray your blessing and speak to us. Use us this year in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, everybody in the house said, amen, amen, amen. Okay, so last year, we set a goal of 300,000 gospel shares through our Relentless campaign. What this is, is we said in 10 years from now, we wanna be sharing the gospel a million times annually through our church network. That's through our camp, our church plans, that's through our mission work. And so this last year, we said, let's start this year with 300,000. We actually shared the gospel from our campus, this around our campus, Hutto, Taylor, our missions, 377,705 times. And so we beat our goal. Yeah, that's incredible. So we actually beat our goal by 77,000 gospel shares. And so that is incredible. This year, we have set a new goal, and this new goal is aggressive, and it's gonna take all of us. We, you, some of you didn't do your part this year, and you know it. So it's gonna take all of us, but we set our goal this year at 500,000. So. We set this out to something we're gonna accomplish in 10 years, and now we're two years in and we're already halfway there. And so we are going to continue to be relentless for the gospel, and God is going to continue to move in and through us. Is that incredible, by the way? It just blows my mind. And so this year, the way that I thought we would equip ourselves as a church, now last year we went through the book of Genesis. It was a phenomenal study, really enjoyed it. This year, we're gonna be in the New Testament all year, and we're gonna start in the book of Romans. And the reason we're gonna start in Romans, the reason we're gonna walk through Romans is because Romans is a book that literally teaches us what we believe as Christians, what we believe, who we are as believers. And so as far as the New Testament goes, it's set up like this. It's really easy to understand. So the first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So those are the first four books of the New Testament. And then you have the book of Acts. 
Acts is the birth of the church. So you got the story in the life of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. Then you got the birth of the church. And then after Acts, it goes to Romans. And from Romans forward, we have what are called the epistles. That is, the letters to the churches. And so what we end up seeing here is the letter that Paul is going to write to the church of Rome. Not only does it teach us what we believe, but it's structured in a way. It's pretty crazy. So he's going to set it up and he's going to talk about our purpose. But it talks about the wrath of God the plan of God, the grace of God, and the will of God. So it's sort of how it's structured. But inside that structure, there are little sound bites that we get to pull from. There are, I'm gonna call them mini lessons, if you will. And so you look, you got the word law is used 78 times in Romans. The word righteous is used 66 times. The word faith is used 62 times. And so you begin to see that this whole book is gonna be about the righteousness that comes through faith. I mean, this is, this righteousness comes to faith. And a lot of times, by the way, when we get into talking about the law, it is not dealing with the Mosaic law. The word law is used as principles. So we have principles of what we believe as Christians, foundation of what we believe as Christians. And so it's going to be a great study. I do think it's going to inspire us, but I also think that there's some challenges. And so there's some challenging things that we're going to cover, and we're not going to back down from them. We're not going to shy away from them, um, but I am going to offend some people and you're going to probably be one of them, and so you're welcome. All right, so Romans chapter 1. Let's pick up in verse 1. Um, if you've never been with us before, we teach expositorily, and so we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and so what I'll do is I'm actually going to read some of the verse, I'll talk about it, and then we'll keep going. And so don't get lost in where we're at. It helps if you have your own Bible or if it's pulled up on your phone, if you're reading along with us, but if not, it'll be on the screens. And so... Um, let me start. I'm going to have a... Okay, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul. Okay, so pause there. <laughs> so, Paul. we got to establish who's writing this letter. So, Paul is writing the letter to the church in Rome. Now, Paul's original name was Saul. Saul was actually named after King Saul from the Old Testament. King Saul was a Benjamite. Saul's also a Benjamite. So, he's actually named after him. It's sort of a namesake. And on the road to Damascus, Paul or Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, has an encounter with God. And after this encounter with God, he became radical for Jesus. I mean, literally, his life turned upside down. And he was passionate about preaching the story of Jesus to the world. And so he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Now, we, don't, we have a lot of biblical content about who Paul is in the Bible. There's not a lot about his appearance in the Bible. In fact, if we step outside of the Bible, and this is a non-biblical source, there's a book that's actually called The Acts of Paul. Again, it's not a Bible. It's not a Bible. Um, it's just a historical book, but it describes Paul, and he actually says that Paul, Paul means little or small, which is fitting because the way he's described in The Acts of Paul is he was a smaller man. Thankfully for him, he was bald. Um, he uh, had a crooked nose. He had like a hooked nose. Uh, he walked with a limp, and it says very specifically that he had his eyebrow went straight across his forehead, which means he had a unibrow. And so that sort of changes the way I see Paul in my head, because I think Paul, I think this strong, just gospel fire guy, uh, looked more like a minion um, uh, or of some sort. But nonetheless, he is radical. So Paul, here's how he starts the letter. And, and by the way, if I were to write a letter today and I were writing a letter to Paul, I would write 
um, Dear Paul, and I would write the letter, and then I would sign my name. As I signed my name, I would sign, you know, Donnie. Well, in ancient writings, they actually did it backwards. So they would sign their name first in ancient writings, write the letter, and then sometimes they would sign who it was actually to if you couldn't pick up in the midst of the letter. So Paul starts this as an ancient letter would start, identifying himself. So he says, Paul, he's writing to the church of Rome. He says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Now, let me just get this out there. Um, there's, a, there's terms that are used in, in the church world. And apostles, one, you've heard the word disciple. I want to just divide them out for you because a disciple is a student. It's, it's a pupil. It's a student. An apostle is actually someone who had a physical encounter with God or with Jesus, walked with Jesus, interacted with Jesus. And so he's a first, firsthand account person. And so that's the, an apostle. Well, Paul calls himself an apostle here, but he didn't actually walk with Jesus. He's classifying himself as an apostle, which the word apostle means a messenger or missionary. And so he's classifying himself as an apostle because he had a physical encounter on the road to Damascus where God changed his life. And so he's labeled himself as a missionary messenger, physical encounter through that. And watch what he says. So Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. He says this, a messenger, a missionary. He says, set apart for the gospel. Let me, let me do this. So set apart, first of all, the word holy. Holy in the Bible is also a word that set apart, means set apart. Um, those of you who have grown up in church, you've heard the term Pharisee. The religious leaders in the New Testament are called Pharisee. Well, the original word for Pharisee, Pharisee means set apart. It means that they are isolated, set apart. And so Paul here is saying, hey, I am a, I'm, this is a holiness. This is a Pharisee, this, I'm being set apart. So he's using the same language that they would have understood as Christian leaders. And so he's like, I'm set apart, but watch this, this is crazy. Set apart for the gospel, for the gospel. A lot of us who grew up in church, when you got saved, you were set apart from things. And then the way you were tra trained up, like you, you were trained up, like, like you've been saved, so now here's what you don't do. And that's the way we're taught Christianity. We're taught, because I am now saved, here's what I don't do. Well, Paul's saying, hey, I am a Christian, so here's what I do do. This is what I'm about. This is everything who I am. And so when he says I'm saved for this, because let me tell you, this is sad, but this is true. And I'm going to, here, here you go. I apologize beforehand, but here we go. There are a lot of people sitting under the sound of my voice right now, and you are saved. You have accepted Christ as your Savior. You are saved. But you know and I know that you're lost. You don't know your purpose. You don't know what you believe or why you believe it. And so you're dazed and you're somewhat confused and, and you live your life and you wanna proclaim God, but you know in your soul that there is very little purpose behind what you're doing. Paul is saying to the church of Rome, look, you are, you gotta understand that I am in Christ set apart and I know my purpose. And what is his purpose? He says, my purpose is the gospel of God. And the gospel of God, I will describe this and explain this a little bit more in detail here in a moment. But the gospel of God, we have minimized the gospel of God. Here's what we think the gospel is. We say the gospel is, okay, so if we've all sinned against God, and so that separated us. And because we've been separated, we have to be reconciled. The only way you can be reconciled is by what Jesus did on the cross. And so the gospel to us is when we say you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. That has become the gospel to the Western church. 
That is not the gospel that Paul is talking about. And it looks like it's repeated a couple times here. That's awesome. This is, so let's read it again. So Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. I'm set apart to tell the story of Jesus. Not just a presentation, but the story of Jesus. Because understanding the story of Jesus is what brings repentance it's what brings life change. It's what makes us wake up in the morning and say, I refuse to be the same. I refuse to be like the world. I refuse to live against God's decrees, against his word. I refuse to be rebellious in my spirit because I know who Christ is. And I think that that's missing in some people's lives. Yes, you've said yes to Christ. You have yet to find a moment in your life where you are desperate to not be rebellious against God. And Paul is writing the letter to the church at Rome. He's writing this letter in 57 AD. He's not gonna make it to Rome for another three years. So it'll be 60 AD before Paul ever steps foot in Rome. So he's writing this letter. Some people believe he's writing it from a prison in Corinth. Some believe he's just writing it in Corinth, whatever the case. In 57 AD, Paul is saying, I am Paul, I'm an apostle, I'm called, I'm set apart for the gospel. I know my purpose. That's how he starts. And in verse 2, he said, my purpose, which is the gospel, this is what was promised. Verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. We're blanked out. There we go which he has promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So when it says that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Scripture, Paul is simply saying, look, I am sold out for the gospel because the prophets, talking about Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, the prophets of the Old Testament. There were 300 plus prophecies that were actually spoken and talked about the Messiah to come, who is Christ Jesus. And so what he's actually saying here, there's a guy that I enjoy reading. His name's John Phillips. And John Phillips actually says this. He says, imagine this. If you took the prophets of old, what it is is it's 300 plus prophecies where they took an arrow, they draw it back, and they fire them straight up into the air. And all 300 plus arrows come down on the exact same point, who is Christ Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, I've watched all of the arrows fired and I see them all come down. The scriptures promised. What did they promise? Look at this very clearly. Verse three, they promised, the promises were concerning his son. Concerning his son. Concerning the son of God, who is Jesus, who is a descendant from David. Now David was promised that he would have someone on his throne for all of eternity. It was an eternal promise. And we know that Jesus comes through that line of kingship. Keep going, verse four. In verse four it says, and was declared to be the son of God. So understanding Christianity 101 is Jesus is declared to be the son of God. He's actually declared to be God. This is what we believe. We believe that Jesus walked on earth and represented us. He's the covenant representative to cover our sin. He stepped out of heaven. He has always been. He wasn't created in Bethlehem. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He always has been and he always will be. And so we believe with everything we are that he's declared to be God's son, the son of God. And it says this, in the power, so here's the power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection from the dead this is what Paul is saying. The church is established on the power of God, which is seen in the resurrection of Jesus. Hear me, and hear me clearly. 
The church was not founded on a cross. The church has never been established on the cross. I know that people want to see the cross. People want to have a cross, wear it on their necklaces. I understand that. But the church was established on an empty tomb. It was standing outside the empty tomb after Jesus had conquered death where everything changed. This is why the disciples, this is why the people that walked closely with Jesus, this is why they were willing to literally, the eyewitnesses to Jesus' death and resurrection, they were willing to die before they would disclaim anything other than he rose from the dead. Killed, martyred, hung upside down, thrown off the top of a temple. They were killed because they's like, this was the power of God on display. And Paul is saying this. It's like the power of God is represented in Christ through the resurrection. It's through the resurrection. And you gotta remember when Paul is writing this in 57 AD, you're not talking about 2000 years later where people will be going, I don't know. There were still eyewitnesses walking on earth. Paul had never been to Rome. The people he's writing to, they experienced Pentecost. So they were in Pentecost in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit of God just rushed down on them and thousands upon thousands of people got saved. They left Pentecost, they left Jerusalem. They went back to Rome and established a church. They established it because they had seen the power of the resurrection. They had seen the power of the Holy Spirit. They believed and trusted that God was fully in control. And the eyewitnesses, people who saw Jesus dead on a cross and saw Jesus walking after the resurrection, they were relentless for the gospel. Not a presentation, but repentance and life change and a new hope and a new purpose and a new focus. And so Paul is writing them saying, look, we know the power, you know the power, and it's not foreign to them. In verse five, he says, through whom, whom, this is still talking about Jesus, through whom we have received grace. We have received grace. Now, next week, we're gonna deal with the wrath of God, and it's excruciating. The grace of God shows up multiple times in Romans, but he's like, you have received the grace of God and apostleship to bring about the obedience for the, for the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So Paul's saying, look, it's not just that the resurrection saves you. It gives you purpose. And that purpose is that you're going to be an apostleship. This means a minister, a messenger or a missionary. You're going to go to the nations. This is what's lacking in some of our hearts in the room is the idea and the identity of the nations and what it means for us to take the gospel from Round Rock, Texas to the ends of the earth means that we are radical in what we do. It means that we step way outside of our comfort zones and it means that we actually believe the Bible. It means that we believe that God said to us, look, there is a power, it comes to the resurrection and that power gave you a message for you to go share with the nations. That's what Paul has just spoken through those first five verses. He understood what he was saved for. Not from, but for. Verse six, he says, including you, including you. So he's like, I know what I've been saved for. It's been radical. I know that I'm a messenger of the resurrection. I'm gonna tell the story of Jesus to the ends of the earth. He says, now this also includes you. You who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. If you call are called to belong to Christ Jesus, it means if you've been saved, then you are commissioned to be a messenger, a missionary, someone who's gonna take the gospel beyond your own house. 
Paul, I identify with where Paul is right now because um, I will just sum this up this way. I was in Houston, in the hood, and when I say hood, I mean hood. And I was in Walmart. Could I stop the story right there and you're all right? Yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. But I'm in Walmart, we're shopping for my son, we're moving him into school up there in Houston and moving him in. And um, so we've done all our shopping and also we feel like, hey, we need bottles of water. So my son and I take off to go back to get water. And so we go back and this is the largest Walmart ever created in history. I had to carry waters from the back of the store to the front of the store. I'm telling you, there's no Walmart ever been created that's bigger. But I get back there and I'm standing there and there's a guy and there's a couple employees standing there and there's a bunch of boxes in the aisle. And the guy said, and I could tell he was a little bit frustrated. And he's standing there, he's like, all right, guys, all right, all right. And he says, all right, I, I, don't just, and he just screams, like he yells. I don't know if he's a manager, if he's a charge to somebody. He says, don't just stand there, pick up a box. And I'm standing there and I'm like, dang. And he looks straight at me, like looks straight at me. And he kind of like, like, what are you doing? I'm like, where are they going? Like, I'm, I'll pitch in where the box is supposed to go. He's very upset. The box and he goes somewhere. Where are they going? And he says, to the same aisle we just came from. I was like, I came from the checkout. I just came back to get some waters. He goes, oh, you don't work here? I'm like, no. But this is what Paul has just done. Paul has just said to the church in Rome, don't just stand there, pick up a box. It's like, there is no room for us just to set idle. There's no room for us to set idle. And I know some of you in the room are saying, well, where, do I, where would I serve? Like, what, what does that even look like? What box do I pick up? Listen to me, door greeters. We have a cafe every week that serves people. We have a prayer ministry. We have a care ministry. We have groups that need leaders. We have children's ministry, preschool ministry, that if we're not teaching the next generation, who is? And I know some of you feel like you're empty nesters and you're over this, or yeah, you don't wanna deal with kids because you deal with them all week. If we don't teach the kids about Jesus, who teaches them? Who teaches them? So there are plenty of places for you to pick up a box and do something. However, however, Paul is not saying, hey, I want you to just simply start doing something. He's gonna be pretty specific. Verse seven, he says, to those who are in Rome, who are loved by God, you know you're loved by God in this place, don't you? Say it, say amen. You're loved by God in this place. And called to be saints. Now this is kind of one that's weird because saints is a word um, now, many of you who grew up Catholic, this isn't super weird for you because the idea of saints, um, you know, you pray to saints, you hear about saints, you, there's conversations about saints. It's odd to me because um, nowhere in the Bible does it ever teach us to pray to saints. In fact, I think it's, uh, uh, I'll just leave it there. And so the Bible does not, doesn't, and nowhere does it ever say this. And so saints has always been a little bit of a, an odd word for me to hear or even receive because it's just strange because it's just, just strange. But here Paul reminds me, reminds us, that we are called to be saints. Not pray to saints, but we're called to be saints. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be children of God as we are. And he says, grace to you and peace from God. So the saints are gonna receive grace and peace. Of our Father and of the Lord. Now, I want you to um, follow me through a line of logic here. Let me read one more verse, verse eight. For I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in the world. Okay, 
Let me do a little bit of work, then I'm going to come back to what I was just about to say. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ. So this is how we pray, okay? We pray through God, to God through Jesus. Now, I need you to understand this because we pray to God through Jesus. Now, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, okay? So there are some who pray uh, to the Holy Spirit, absolutely permitted. You can pray to the Spirit. Please pray to the Spirit, please. There are some who pray directly to Jesus. You're welcome to pray to Jesus. You're welcome to praise him, worship him. In fact, when we start worshiping, we start singing the name Jesus. I don't know why more of you don't jump up on your seats, throw your hands to the sky and try to reach into heaven because we are singing and proclaiming and speaking to our savior, to our redeemer. Like how do we not just come out of our skin over this? But here's what I need you to know. We pray to God through the power of Jesus. This is what prayer looks like. Because sometimes I'll hear people pray to Jesus and they'll ask Jesus to do something. They'll pray, dear Jesus, would you just do A, B, C? They'll begin to ask Jesus to do things. And I'm like, well, I don't know. He was pretty clear. When Jesus said, it is finished, his work was done. Like everything he did on the cross, why would I ask him to do anything else? Not to mention God the Father says himself in the scriptures, Jesus himself says, I only do what the Father commands me to do. So our prayer is to God through Jesus. Are we clear on that? Okay. Are you sure? All right. And then it says, because your faith is proclaimed, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, he is not saying that the message of the gospel has been proclaimed in all the world. He's saying what you believe. And the thing is, is what we believe can be proclaimed all over the world, but here's what's missing for us. Here's what's missing for us. No one's gonna talk about your faith. Paul understands this. He's like, hey, if we're not proclaiming our faith, no one is gonna say, man, I, those people in Round Rock, they sure are full of faith. And even if they do, what does that even mean? What does it even mean? Because I see an entire group of people who seem to lean on faith and then walk away from faith. Lean on faith and then run from God. My son was, uh, we were sitting having dinner and he said, he said, he goes, hey, and I don't even know how we got to this point in the conversation, but would you say that, um, death is the number one reason you see people walk away from God. Like when someone in their family dies or a loved one dies, is that, they get callous. Would you say that's the number one reason you see people walk away from God? And I mean, he was like, yeah, probably. I mean, that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. And then, you know, time went on and I got in the car and I'm driving home from Houston and I'm going, I, I think I led him astray. Because that's not the number, that's for sure truth. Death certainly challenges our core and our faith. But that's not the number one reason people walk away from their faith. In fact, I would almost argue that I think the biggest reason people walk away from faith is because they've put down their box. They're doing nothing for the Lord, and so they have no calling, they have no purpose, they get purposeless, and then they feel unworthy, they feel unwanted, and then they just disappear. It's those who serve, those who have a box in their hand, are the ones who are being most fulfilled. Now, I know that there's also people who came up to me after first service and said, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, church leadership is, they really run people off. Yeah, we do. We do. It's true. People in the church, they run other people off. It's true. It's true. But I'm going to tell you, the most people I see walk away from faith, walk away from the church, walk away from living on purpose are people who have set down the box and aren't carrying anything. They just come in on Sundays, occasionally, sing a few songs, hear the scripture, and they go about their week. Those who are all in are carrying the box. They're carrying a box. Verse nine, let me keep going here. It says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. 
that without ceasing, I mention you. He's saying, I pray for you constantly. Again, I hope you're praying for your kids. I hope you're praying for your spouse. But who else are you praying for? Like, we should be men and women that are desperately praying for those around us. He says in verse 10, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He's like, look, I've never been there. I want to come to you. Here's why. He wants to come to them in verse 11. Here's why. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to strengthen you. This is, he's like, I want to come to you in order that I can show you how powerful the spirit is that dwells in us and how powerful the spirit that moves in us is through you. He's like, I want you to see God at work. And I want to, I want to show you. I want to implement this. I want you to know what the spiritual gifts are. I want you to know your purpose. Keep coming to verse 12. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This is also what he's saying. Community matters. He's like, inside the church, you need to know this. The reason we come together and corporately worship, because community matters. The reason we have life groups, community matters. The reason we do Bible studies, community matters. Community matters. Being together matters. He's like, this matters. In verse 13, he's like, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, he's like, I'm ready to inspire, train, and send some of you. Uh, this reap the harvest, he's like, I'm ready to show some people how to pick up a box and serve God. I'm ready to show people their purpose. I wanna come to you so bad because I wanna tell people that they have a purpose in the kingdom of God. I don't want people to be lost. I don't want people to be just frolicking about. Is that the right word, frolicking about? Is that a word? Frolicking. I'm going to frolic through this next verse. Verse 14 says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I really like this, and this is good for us in the church to hear today because he is saying, I'm under obligation to serve and put a towel over my arm and speak to people who believe and think differently than I do. He doesn't say, look, I am under obligation to get on Facebook and just trash somebody for what they believe. That's not what he's saying. It's like, I'm under obligation to love and to serve and to share the truth with people. And this is gonna be a crazy year. We're entering into an election year. There's gonna be things that get crazy. And the church doesn't need to be crazy. The church needs to be focused. The church needs to understand the towel over our arm and serving and we serve and love and we teach and we, we're not gonna back down from the truth. We're not gonna compromise in what we believe. We're also not here to kick people in the teeth. We're here to show people there is a God who loves them and there is a son who died for them and there's a salvation that is set aside for them. He says this, next word, listen to this, verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm eager to preach the gospel. This is not him saying, I'm eager to come tell you that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. Right, that's what we've summed the gospel up to. That's not what he's saying here. That's not what he's saying. He's like, I'm eager to preach the gospel. I'm eager to tell you about the life of Jesus. I'm, e I'm eager to tell you about the story of Jesus. I'm eager to tell you about what Jesus has done and accomplished for you. I'm eager to tell you a story about someone who loved you enough to go to the cross for you and what that means for you and how you respond to that. And that's what the rest of this letter is about. 
The rest of this letter is about Paul teaching what Jesus' death and resurrection mean to us as Christians, what it means to us as people. He goes on, listen to what he says. The very next words he says is, verse 17, or I'm sorry, verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus' life. I think sometimes we live like we're ashamed of Jesus' life. I'm telling you, you got to wear the t-shirt and carry the coffee mug. But I'm saying, I'm not ashamed of what he's done for me. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What Jesus' life did, that is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So if they understand who Jesus is and what he's done, that is the power of God. Paul's like, I want you to know the power of God. I want you to understand it. To the Jews first and also to the Greeks. And then listen to verse 17. Here's how he wraps it up. He says, for in it, in what? What is it? It is the gospel, the story, the life of Jesus. In it, the life of Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the life of Jesus, the righteousness, the goodness of God is revealed. That's what he's saying here. And then watch this. He says, from faith for faith. This actually means uh, the first to the last, or cover to cover. Like if you ever said, like I'm gonna read a book, cover to cover, that's what this actually means. It's like from cover to cover. If you wanna know God's goodness, you wanna know God's faithfulness, you wanna know God's righteousness, it's found in Jesus. So tell the story of Jesus and you can understand God the Father. You can understand how good he is, how gracious, how powerful he is, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. And then he says, he quotes, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let me break this down really fast. He says, the righteous, that is those who are upright with God, those who are at one with God, they live by faith. So righteousness is established, let me do it this way. Righteousness is established through faith. Not your works, but faith. And those who have faith in God, he says they live. So like, so those who are upright with God, it only happens through faith. And those, those people, they have life. Not just life, but Jesus said life everlasting. And so what Paul is doing here is he's like, look, you need to understand that your faith means you're willing to pick up. You're not going to just stand there. You're going to pick up a box. You're going to understand the power of God. You're going to understand the goodness of God. You're going to understand that you are not a namesake. We are not called Christian just so that we have a title. We are called a Christian because we are Christ-like and we live the very story that he shares. Guys, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the fact that as we get into this year, and as we begin to learn and understand what it means for us to walk as Christians, there's something in my heart, my soul, that just says, look, we have to be willing to do more. We have to, in fact, that's my slogan for this year, 2024. In 24, I'm gonna give more. That's my slogan. You can adopt it if you want. I'm gonna give more. We have to be willing to step out and pick up a box and serve. You have to be willing to pick up a box and do your part. My wife and I were in a discussion we were sitting at a wedding, and so we are sitting at a wedding. A uh, lady was there. She was sharing a story, and she was saying, I haven't been to church in, in a long time. I'm like, why haven't you been to church? Well, it's hard because I come in, and I serve. She serves in the children's ministry, and then she leaves. She says, I come in and serve, and then I, and I leave. I'm like, you can't do that. I mean, that's crazy. You've got to come to church. You've got to be fed. You've got to be in community. You need to be worshiping. And so I'm kind of just lighting her up, right? We get in the car, and we're driving home, and my wife says, hey, I'm just curious. Like, would you rather somebody come to church and just sit in a blue chair and do nothing, or would you rather somebody come serve and then leave? And I looked at my wife while we were driving, and I said, don't you ever talk to me like that again. 
You understand me? I'm the head of this house. That's Bible. You don't need to speak to me like that. But it did hit me because I thought, yeah, we are supposed to be the hands and the feet. Sitting in a blue chair serves very, very little. Does it feed our soul? Absolutely. But for what purpose? Paul says, for a purpose. God, let us live for a purpose. I pray that as we study this this year, you would let us come alive in our purpose. You would let us come alive in not just what we think, but what we believe, the way we walk, the way we talk. Lord, that we would be radically committed to you. God, I pray for life change through the study that we're gonna undertake this year. And I pray that even today, you would let some of us walk out here knowing that we are not gonna just stand there this year. We are going to pick up a box and do something for your kingdom. Use us in a mighty way. We praise you for your grace. Lord God, we praise you for your son. And it's in his name, everybody in the house said, amen, amen.